Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. We know that God is interested in everything you are and everything you do. In this financial literacy series, 90 and 10, we look beyond the tithe and the offering and focus 100% on the financial blessings God showers on His children. How do you make money? How do you manage it? How do you grow it? What are the best ways to invest? What can you do now to secure your financial future? Well, for answers to these questions and more, listen. My first encounter with a real Christian situation occurred about age 28. But prior to that, I attended church usually, but nothing was in the veins. It was mostly, life was more analytical and common sense based rather than spiritual. Today I'm going to speak about how faith helps me in my business. And there are two types of faith. The universal one, which says whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you proclaim and believe within you, the universe arranges itself to meet you at where you have put yourself. Then the biblical one, as we know, is ultimate belief that whatever we believe, and as for in our God, He delivers. Now my experience has been that as I grew up and became a student of faith, I realized that if you're not careful as a Christian, whirlwind could take you to the other side. Because some of the laws about happenings are general. It is you who decide where you put them. So I decided after age 28, to put them with God. And ever since then, I've had the grace of knowing and be able to appreciate the happenings as they happen and also be able to link them to God. Let me put a difference between what I've just said and sometimes being able to even recognize that what happened a while ago was God answering me is difficult. You don't even remember Things happen, they occur, you endure or enjoy the moment, and then you move on. But being able to link it as to how you were even at that position at that time, let alone appreciating the fact that this walk was really ordered for you to get to where you were, is also by grace. So my usual prayer is to always Ask God, when you act, let me see that it is you so that I can give you all the attributes that you deserve. I did banking for 10 years and decided to leave. Now I decided in my city year that I didn't like banking. And when I decided in that city year, I was already owing the banks about $150,000. Now within the city year, that I decided there was no way my salary could pay off those loans to enable me to leave the bank. But I made my mind that I was leaving. I didn't schedule a time that in the 10th year I would, I would leave, but then I just decided that I would leave. In the sixth year, I left my original bank, which was Standard Chartered, to Stambeck Bank. I carried my loans along with me to Stambeck Bank. And whilst at Stambeck Bank, I said to myself, this is my last bank. When I leave here, I'm going home. And all these, for some reason, I was able to proclaim them without thinking of them as a fate action. But they did happen. For instance, my loans. My scare was that when I leave, instead of the 5% interest rate I was enjoying, they will be commercialized to 22%. In fact, during the Kufour time, that was about 30%, yes. So your fear is, how are you going to pay this? What value of money can you make and generate a profit of 30% to pay that alone as interest, let alone principal? But I did leave anyway, without the loans. And what happened was, for 10 years after I left, the bank never changed the interest rate to 20, 30%. It remained 5% till I was ready to write a one-time check. Now, 
if you ask me, from a Christian perspective, should I have gone to the bank and tell them that you have made a mistake? You should have changed my rate from 5%. I thought about it. Then I answered myself. I said, well, I am doing my job by staying out of the bank's work since I was no longer a staff. It was the bank's responsibility to also do their work. So I didn't feel any guilt. Somehow, they all forgot. And for seven to 10 years, I ran on 5% and I managed to pay. When I finished paying, I said, hmm, what if I had not taken that decision to leave because of the fear of the loans? For the first time it occurred to me and God taught me that I am there. I do things that you can never imagine. There was another situation where a very tough time. I had joined the bank fresh. My branch was Abekan La Paz. And I emphasize the branch because it wasn't the branch that anybody in Stanchat would want to work in. One, because of the caliber of clientels. It was tiring. You literally have to write for everybody who came into the banking hall. Thumbprint was one hell of a difficult job because you now have to go back. We didn't have digitization of thumbprint then. You now have to go back to look for the cards on which the people's pictures were on. That was tedious. So anybody who saw Abekan was a tiring job. But that's where I got to start with. There was a day I was at work. I was then by the counter, tailoring job. And there were a crowd around me. And then two gentlemen walked in. And when they walked in, they had a draft in hand and they wanted to bypass the queue. So I said to them that, look, if you are in a hurry, please drop it down. So I, I would work on it later and you can come back for your sleep later. So their friend asked him, hmm, this is 80 million. That was 8,000 then. This is 80 million. And he wants us to leave it with him. You think he's safe? What they didn't know because of the illiteracy was that a draft with your name on it cannot be credited to any account. So when it gets missing, it's missing. It can't be stolen. But they were worried that whether I would deposit it into the account. So when they had that conversation, they decided, okay, let's try him. When they got back about two o'clock, the money was in the account. And I heard one of them exclaim, hey, are there people like this in Ghana? <laughs> we left this huge money and he put it in the account. It wasn't cash, it was a draft. So they went out again and brought me some gifts. It was weird. Sardines, soap, <laughs> uh, tea roll. And in my cockiness, God forgive me in those days, I accepted them, but with nonchalance, you know. It's like, if you give me a gift, what are these? You know, kind of mindset. But during that period, I had just applied for my MBA at Legon. And it was a fee-paying MBA. And I used everything I had on me to pay the school fees. In fact, people were allowed to pay per semester. But I had a unique situation because in those days, the rule was that until you were 35 or you had 10 years working experience in a corporate environment, you were not taken for MBA at Legon. And I was barely 26. I had done only six months at work. But somehow I applied. Now, when I got, and I got admission, but later on, the lady at the secretariat realized that, ah, this guy we've admitted did not have any of the qualifications. So she actually called and said, gentlemen, we have to withdraw. I realize you are only 26 and you don't have even one year experience at work. And I said, yes, but I look 35. So when I said that, she said, then I probably have to see you myself to assess. So I agreed. And that day, I actually got myself into a fugu 
smoke. So, <laughs> so I could look a bit big. And I went. Of course, while I was going, I prayed. When I entered the office, and he, she said, Oh, you even look 40. <laughs> as negative and painful <laughs> as that sounded, I took it in quietly. And I was admitted into marketing. I had actually selected finance. But they admitted me into marketing because they said there was no space in finance. So that's what I got. Now I was forced to have to pay my fees immediately because she advised that I needed to commit to the school before they found this out. So I used everything to pay for the fees. So I, had, I didn't have a CD. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, started work long before I did. There was a tough time that my girlfriend was working and I was home. So I suffered confidence issues. Somebody who we could talk the whole day on phone. Suddenly when you call her, she says she's busy. And because I hadn't worked, I thought, really? What has changed? Because you are working today, you think you are above me. You can't even talk to me. So the usual man issues. Now, because of that feeling, I rushed quickly to rent a place when I got a job so I can move from home. So I can plan quickly to marry my wife so that she doesn't run away from me because she was my senior at work. So that period, I had three things. Moving home, getting that job, getting the MBA, also done. And I used to drive my mother's old BMW, very old. But because I was the one working from home, the family allowed me to be taking it in and out. But when I made the decision to move out of home, my brother called me and said, bro, you know I love you. I said, yeah, forever. But you know this one, let's talk common sense. You know there are five of us in the house, and this is the only car we all have. Now that you have decided to move out, you can't take the car. Because otherwise, four of us will suffer. And they were not happy with my moving. First, they thought it was too early. And they thought it didn't make sense. We lived in Ashalibotre. You found a job at Abekan La Paz. And then you will be schooling at Legon. So the easiest thing for you is to live in Ashalibotre. Go to work. On your way back from work, pass through Legon and come home. That was one straight route. But I moved to Spintex. And again, in those days, there was no Tetekwashi interchange. We only had Spana Junction. And cars from Abekala Pass, Trotro from Abekala Pass, ended at Spana Junction. Then at Spana Junction, you take another car to the Medina Ashalibutre area. So my brother said to me, this doesn't make sense. Why are you moving? But I was bent on moving. And I actually said to him that day that, well, I'm moving. And it was a Friday. So I said, you know what? By Sunday, I'm sure I would have settled. Give me up to Wednesday. I'll return the car to you at home. And I just said it. It was on that Wednesday at work that these guys came. So after they gave me the tea roll and the sardines, they went out. Then about 10 minutes to 3, banks, banking halls used to close at 3 o'clock at the time. So about 10 minutes to 3, he came back and said, Boss, for what you have done for us, I want to sell my car to you. And guys, Charlie, I was broke. I was broke to 100 CDs to the extent that I didn't even want to consider the thought of it. So when he said it, I brushed him off. I said, Chief, I'm not interested. He said, won't you even come and see it? I said, no. Because even if you sell it to me for a CD, I don't have it. This guy insisted. Then I said, OK, we'll close at 3. When the banking hall closes at 3, I'll come out and look at it. So after 3, I went out, saw the car, looked at it, and then pocketed and was walking back into the banking hall. Then he asked me, won't you even ask the price? I said, I've told you, even if it's a Pessoa, 
today, I don't have it. So don't talk about it. He followed me into the banking hall and said, Chief, you don't know what you have done. I have been out of this country for 10 years. It was the first time I have come. And before I left, I will never have given anybody my money and left it and go and come for it. But when I came, you did us good. You actually put the money in our account. So I want to do you good. I said, yes, speak. He said, I'm going back tonight to Italy. The car ticket for 1,500 cities. Then at the time, 15 million, right? Yeah. Take it for 1,500. And I'm not back till two years. So whenever you get the money, put the money in my account. Mm. That day, I called a mechanic to come and take my mother's car to her. <laughs> and I drove a car home. It struck me that day that this proclamation that I made to my brother, that on Wednesday, I'll bring you the car without any plan about it. And I kept asking myself, I think on Sunday when I went to church, the shortest prayer I had ever prayed, I said, God, all these things that I, I know they look foolish to me and all men, but I desire you to straighten it up. And on that Wednesday, when it happened, it dropped. I couldn't miss the fact that God was reminding me that my belief in him, he has made it happen. And it didn't end there. It became the standing point of my faith. From that period, I started learning about faith, how to exercise it and how to grow it. And over time, several happened, several that I couldn't run away from. I sometimes had to just prostrate as it happens and give thanks to God. Whilst I grew up in a, I'll say a quiet, noble, Catholic home, prayer was constant. My mom would always call us in the evening to sit around and pray before we sleep. That's the best I had in Christianity. What I want to say tonight is that faith works. And the more you exercise it, the more the muscles of your faith build and become stronger. It is almost like passing tests, the same test over and over again. You become more comfortable in approaching that same test. When you are confronted with an issue, it's your belief that makes it happen or not. Fear is normal. But remembering at the time that the fear is there, that this is fear, I need to have my own confidence. You see, when the devil brings in the fear, he knows that based on that, you will slide down. But the moment you you defeat that initial attack of introducing the fear, he's gone. He goes, he flees, and the rest is for you. But when you hammer on the fear, you act in ways that does not bring the desirable results. There are dark times, especially in business. Dark, dark times. Dark, absolute dark times. Sometimes you lose sleep for five days and it's not a sleep that you are not able to sleep in the night, therefore in the morning you feel sleepy. No, sleep doesn't come in the night, it doesn't come in the day. And if you don't take care, if you don't read the word, and that's when the devil attacks you, in the night when you try reading the word, sleep doesn't come and you can remain stoned for five days non-stop. Now, why is that fear? Why doesn't the sleep come? Because you are rolling over the fear. But the moment you take the Bible 
to read, especially at night, after nine, the devil attacks you. He probably thinks that he's causing your inability to read. Therefore, he brings the sleep. And then the sleep comes. So these days, when I'm unable to sleep, when I take the Bible, he comes. What he doesn't know that is a trap for him. <laughs> so I'm reading, I intend to read one full chapter. I read seven verses out of 36 before I realize I'm snoring. That's without any drugs, no chemicals. Now, after he realized that I've done that, he stopped coming. So sleep has returned. Edwin, so you can stop praying. The sleep has come. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that there are various ways that he comes at us. And all is just to weaken us. When you recognize it, and the, the basis is you to, for you to recognize it, that this is of the devil. And the moment he comes and you overcome it, even by just a single word, devil, you can't go away. It's goes. And guys, listen to this very carefully. We are here in belief and in faith that there is a God we worship and there is a God who reigns in the affairs of men. When you have that belief, it's either you have it or you don't. When you have that belief, exercise that belief. It doesn't make sense that you say you believe, yet you don't exercise it. If you don't believe, that's fine. But don't believe half and half. I always say that I have chosen to believe in the Bible in its fullness and its foolishness. What I can't understand, what I have an analytical challenge against, what my mind tells me, what are this, I have just decided, just like the way I fell in love, stupidly. Let me just take the Bible as it is in all foolishness, without any challenge. Now, if that Bible is telling me that if I believe in him, everything works well, why will I have that belief? So again, that's my analytical mind. It makes sense. Just do it and believe it and it comes to pass. Now, assuming that it doesn't even come to pass, let's assume that indeed we are all stupid. There is no God, yet we've put ourselves into an, an imaginary God that doesn't exist. What is the other way? The other way of not believing and living in disbelief is actually worse. This is where I started with the universe belief of faith and the biblical belief in faith. Even the universe, and that is where they don't believe in God, they believe in self-creation and evolution, tells you that what you say, what you believe happens. So worst case scenario, there is no God. The people who don't believe in God are even telling you that when you say it, it happens. When you believe it, it happens. So me, from a pure trading perspective, I am going to profit from both ends. If in future, we end up finding out that indeed, there was no God, everything was imaginary. I have won on the universal part as well. Because what I believe in actually happens. But this day, because I believe and I am foolish to the belief of God, I attribute all my belief to God and I drive all my faith and strength from that belief. I am a third of four children. And I won't say I was a black sheep, but I was the, I was the most social, let me put it mildly. Um, my elder brother, became a born again very early. Secondary school form two. He became a born again and he's lived that life to date. I was more social. I mean, life was not that difficult to live because I did whatever I wanted. I came out, let me say a bit bad. <laughs> um, I drank, I partied, 
I came back home at 1 a.m. In my mind, my brother was my only brother. You know, like the way brothers behave. At 1 a.m. when I got home, the last person I wanted to find out what time I got home was my father. But then I knock at my brother's window to come and open me. And the way he would scream, I could as well have woken my father up. <laughs> so for that reason, my brother and I were not, were not friends, we were brothers. Because he saw me as a deviant. And I also saw him as Tuno. You know. So we grew up like that for a long time. But on his wedding day, something happened. Where they were supposed to go and stay after the wedding, confusion happened. So for the first time, he called me in all emotions and said, bro, you are all I have. Whilst I am at the wedding, I beg you, sort this thing out for me. So I was actually supposed to get accommodation for that night at all costs. It did happen. And all the, the terrain that I had to go through to make that happen that night, again was God. He showed his hand in a way that you could never say it wasn't him. And guess what? My brother sent me a text the following morning and said, I have believed in friends all along. But today, God showed me that brothers are always brothers. You are the only one who would have done this for me. That test wiped away our past and we became very close. We became the friends that we were supposed to be that we didn't. And at that time, I again realized what God purposed that difficulty to achieve. Now I'm saying all this and I'll give you the practical examples in business just for you to realize that stuff are happening in your lives. It is how you recognize it that matters. A lot of us have gotten these near-miss experiences. But we have the choice whether to recognize it, whether to leave it as passing, or whether to mark them as marks on our lives and who we attribute them to. Now, the God that we worship clearly loves fans. I mean, you know, praise. And in our boyhood ways, we say fans, you know, nyami o nyami. God, oh God, if you that, you be champion. <laughs> yes. He loves it. Give it to him. When he does it, even the little that you think it was your own strength, you give it to him. How do you frown when somebody is giving you fans? Who dances with a frown? So today, I wake up and I say, Nyamiju too. How does he frown at fans, at praises, even praises that you don't deserve? When they give it to you, you smile. Let alone the fact that he deserves everything and all he's asking for is for you to acknowledge the little he has done in your life. So you drive. In all your mind as you are driving, you went to DVLA, you got your license through test. So the natural thing, the way our mind is defaulted is that you drove and got here because of your driving skill. If the Bible that we believe in is true, or you believe in it in fullness and foolishness, then you know that you didn't get here by your driving skills. It may look like that, it may sound like that. Let's assume that he was asleep whilst you were driving here, so he really didn't look at you, you came here. But when you got here, he said, God, thank you for bringing me here. He can't frown. He can only smile and say, this boy didn't know I was asleep. Oh. But he's thanking me. So gratitude became a part of me. And the moment you have gratitude, it brings contentment. And contentment is the first pillar of faith. Because you are content, it's because you believe. It's because you know that even though it looks empty, in your head and heart is full. That is the practical behavior of faith. Dark times always come. They always come. And when I say dark times, I see them. I shiver even at the pictures that I see. 
but they always come and they will come. How are we prepared to meet those times? It's faith, nothing more. I haven't attended any school outside this country. I don't know anything apart from the readings that I have done about international business, etc. But in my business, I deal with a lot of international people. And most of the time, at start, it's almost as if, you know, you're going to meet a Harvard guy. You, your best is University of Cape Coast, Casford Hall. <laughs> and you're going to meet a Yale guy. It's, it's confidence testing. But as I was taught in my very young age, and in a very particular voice, Seb, when you are going to these meetings, just lift them to God and believe that he has led you. And I was taught in just one sentence. Back in 2003 by Edwin. Seb, for me, again, I was like, who is this financial director who is always talking prayers instead of talking finance? I was their customer service officer at VRE. And each time I call him, he asks for statements, you know, he asks for balances on account. You call the man, and the first five minutes, he's talking about Bible and prayers before he even asks for the balance. But again, I took those lines. And for me, they were simple. Because I am logical, okay, what does he, after all, I don't have any other thing. I don't go home to worship a stone. I don't pray to any other thing. I say to myself that I'm Christian. But you know, you try to separate yourself from the Taliban Christian, the fundamentalist. So you, you tell yourself that, oh, you, you are normal Christian. You know, the ones who are always working about praying, they are the Talibans. And I found Edwin as Taliban in those days because every moment you talk to him is prayers. You go to his office and you actually want to win a VRA business. The man is praying with you. And to be honest, one of the ways I began praying was to see Edwin, and this is the first time he's hearing this from me. I said, okay, we have a lot of competition from other banks chasing the same service from him. And he was finance director, so he had the decision who does which LC, etc. So when I realized that he was a praying man, I said, okay. Then I also pretend I'm a prayerful man. <laughs> Just to win the business. Then one day I went to his office and he held my hand and prayed. I said, you know, I go for a prayer at, you know, Makati Hill. If you could join me, it would be good. And in my mind, it was like a businessman inviting you to come and play golf. <laughs> Even if you can't play, go so that you can win the business. So I went to Makati Hill. We said a particular prayer for a particular thing to occur. The following day it happened. When we said the prayer, he said to me that, go, you see the wonders of God tomorrow. <laughs> and guys, it happened just as we prayed. I marked it. Now, in all my life in business, faith has been my cornerstone. When people see darkness, I see the light. And it's a decision, because the two will be showing, the light and the darkness. Our mind's default position is to see the darkness. Working it out to see the light is a little bit of effort. But that is what shines. I left banking to go and farm. And the day I decided to leave the bank, I had four acres of land. And in my head, I'm going to do a swag farm. You know, I thought of a crop that if I plant on weekends, I can call buddies and go and roast some pork, some beers around, and then we can sit. So it wasn't commercial, but I took the decision to leave the bank on that idea. Today, I ask myself, what the heck was I thinking? How was I going to look after my two no wife and her over-pampered children? with a four-acre farm. But that was the basis on which I left. When I left 
six months down the line, things happened. A job that I did back in the bank, I think just about three weeks before I left, some clients came to me and said, look, we need a guarantee. And they came on a Wednesday. If we don't get this guarantee by Friday, our business is gone. I felt bad because apparently he had been with my colleagues for about a month and they hadn't worked on it. So that day they insisted to see a senior person and they saw me. So when they told me, I said, I felt responsible. I used my own $440 to buy a ticket that day, flew to Nigeria to go and get approval. I had then moved to Access Bank. Our headquarters was in Nigeria. Now, I did this without anybody pushing me. I was leaving in three weeks, so big deal. If I left, they couldn't. But I just felt something just moved me. So I did. So by Friday, they actually got their guarantee. Now, they brought me, when they came on the Friday and they got a the guarantee, they were very impressed. I mean, me, Nasef, I gave my body fans. <laughs> <laughs> then they brought an envelope out, and it was, I knew it was money. So they said, oh, they wanted to thank me. In fact, I won't lie. I was concerned about how much it was. <laughs> it wasn't the morality of it. But when I asked, so I asked them, how much is it? He said, oh, 5,000 C's. I just thought, so 5,000, I take this 5,000. You'll be spreading around the world that when I did the transaction for you, I took 5,000. I was upset within me because if it was 10,000, I probably would have been taken, I probably would have taken it because then it would have been worth whatever rumors they spread around me, but 5K <laughs> for that rumor. So I refused the 5K, in all honesty, not because I felt it was morally wrong. It was because I, did, I felt it wasn't enough. Three months after, they went back to the bank to look for me for another transaction, and they were told I had left. They said whatever bank I had gone to, they wanted to come to me because I delivered magic for them. Then they were told that I had left banking completely. Then they said, no, then this guy, we need him to come and work for us. They actually had an oil import license for one year and they couldn't do anything with it. So when they heard I had left, they started looking for me to come and run that for them. And in my foolishness of farming for acres, when they made their first contact with me, I said, no, I don't do it. Because I was done with corporate life. They chased me for six months, and I kept saying no. Then they met somebody who I knew, but they didn't know I know. So they started the conversation. And when they mentioned my name, the person said, how? Sebastian can't say no. So he called me right there and then and said, have you been contacted by these people? I said, yes. And you say you won't do it? I said, well, I'm done with corporate life. He said, no, these are my friends. They helped me when I was sick. You have to do this for them. That was the only reason. I couldn't say no to him. So I took on the job. Within three years, we became the largest importers of oil into Ghana, not Frito. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> when we became the second largest importers into Ghana, in my head, three years, and we came to meet people that were 10 years old. Oh, we've done it, we've achieved it. God was watching me with a corner of his eye and said, I need to teach this guy a lesson to come back home. There was a product that was economically, commercially stupid to do because it was government subsidized and government delays in paying you. By the time you get paid, the money is gone. The dollar had run, the interest rates has hit you. So everybody decided not to do that product. All my competitors could not understand because everybody knew this was not commercially viable. But I was doing it alone. They got to a point they were owing us to an extent that if we don't receive payment within one week, we were crashed. And the following week, we had no products. No supplier would supply us because we were owing and the money was locked up. But between October to March, we were done. We were crashed. 
we actually dress, as I said to my staff at the time, let's dress and come to work in faith. Again, I fell on my Makati hill suddenly. <laughs> so the following day at Makati hill, we started praying and God just dropped it. It just came. You trusted man. It just came. It just came. I fell and cried. That's such a simple thing. How could I have missed it? And that was the day God coined this phrase for me. I am your ultimate president. Nobody else. Guys, ever since that time, no darkness meets me for me to look into man's face. I look into God's face. Because of how he dealt with me in those dark times, and I accepted it and took it on, nothing shakes me today. Now, up to the March, when we did I think, three months of prayers on the job, etc., and to trying to bring it back and all, then he directed that I should go and meet our supplies. We haven't been paid. We hadn't been paid at the time. But nothing also gave me the courage to call our suppliers till March the following year. So I went. Whilst we had a 3 p.m. appointment with the suppliers in London. Whilst I was in London, my staff had gathered in our prayer room and were praying. And we kept in touch with WhatsApp. So they would say, has the meeting started? I said, no, it's been postponed by an hour. Okay, it means that we have to keep praying. So they were all locked up in the boardroom, just praying. Now I came back with our supplies restored. For the meeting lasted till about 9 p.m. My staff stayed in the boardroom till 9 p.m. Till I announced to them that God has won the victory. We negotiated from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. We're owing them about $22 million. They ring-fenced it and gave it to us to pay over eight years without interest. Then now they said, we would restore your supplies. You don't have to even establish LCs. You don't have to prepay us. We'll give it to you because of our trust in you and pay us back after 90 days. CEOs and CFOs are standing in my face and telling me that we trust in you. So we'll give you products without you establishing LCs. LCs used to cost us, for every cargo that we brought, we paid about $750,000 in LC fees. We got that for free. Now what I want to say is, look at the day God broke me. He reminded me he was the ultimate president. I listened. I went on my knees to him. I repented, asked him. I repented for the 16th time. Asked him <laughs> to forgive me. Prayed, began to have faith. Went on that trip to London and came back like this. How on earth can I miss this and say this is not of God? So today, even when we are not able to collect our monies from clients to pay on the 90th day, I know exactly what to do. Go on my knees and pray. And I haven't been in any such problem since. I'm just giving these examples to give us hope that faith works. The level to which you test God is the level to which he responds to you. If you test him with the minute things, he'll respond to you in the minute things. Recognizing that is critical. It is in our own interest to recognize it when they happen. But if you look at it, he also took me through a learning period. He didn't just wake up and give me faith. He allowed occurrences to happen. He gave me the grace to recognize them. He taught me how to be grateful. Now, if you have faith, I said, that leads to contentment. That exhibition of faith comes in so many ways and you must show it. The first one is generosity, giving. 
Because the day you give out your last penny, knowing that it was your last penny, that is faith. So you don't wait till you hold money before you decide to give. Generosity must be painful. It must hurt you. And again, if your faith is strong, that's when you give out. Because otherwise, you'll never be content. You'd always think that there is something more that you need. But once you believe that you have it, it does happen. And look at it on the other side. The universe people, one of the pillars of the universal laws is that when you give, it returns to you. I have moved away from universal laws to biblical teachings to say that Jesus asked us to give. Why don't people give? Because of their thought of lack. They think they lack. They think they don't have. That's why they don't give. But every giving in the Bible was a test of faith. And he always answered. So look at where I've come from. And you know, one of the things that, in my study of faith, there was a day I listened to Joel Austin. It was a four-pack CD. I've always forgot. I've tried to remember what title it was so I can get it again. And he spoke about faith, and in a very practical way. I think four days after that, I read The Secret. And in reading The Secret, just as posing that with Joel Austin, I only realized that the universe people who claim that is the universe that arranges itself to meet you, they only took God out. But it's the same happenings. So if we don't recognize the happenings in our life, then it means that we are giving it to the universe. So again, that two episodes clarified it for me. So when somebody, people go, people get things done through various forms, which probably are not of God. Will you call that faith? No, it's belief. Because for us, faith is biblical. They have their belief. Now, where you want to put it is your choice. It depends on your level of foolishness in believing in God and the Bible. If it's very high, you give everything to him. If your level of foolishness is low and you are smart, then you give everything to the universe through belief. So, in business, I have decided that faith is the ultimate bit. And you see, each time I think about faith, it comes out clearly why it is the pillar. If you don't believe, why will you kneel down and pray? It's because you believe and you know that it will happen if you pray. So faith makes you give. It makes you pray. Now as you pray, it makes you call for fellowship. So again, it's just like the first step to God for things to happen. Because if I didn't believe, why would an oil company be organizing praise and worship? Why would they pray every Wednesday as part of their? Why would I go for a meeting and ask my staff to gather in a room and be praying whilst I'm having the meeting? It's faith. That then makes you go the next step. But if their belief is low, you won't do it. And I'm saying that this can be achieved by training. Test God in small measures. And as he answers you, you find yourself growing. Because where I work, by this time, you see, you can't be in that industry and not be of them. It's difficult to survive. They come with you, they come at you in various forms. The money is the easiest. 
The ones that come naked are the worst. They throw them at you. When they go in their chantings and they are, the anger is that you are not part of them, yet you are succeeding. So anything to do to prove to you that you are on the wrong course, they will do it. People actually pay bribes to other people. $2.5 million was paid to people to destroy our company. Now, me, um, I don't have any strength on the left. The right has opened the door for me to take strength. And I'll say, no, I'll stay in the middle. They will finish me. So my being here, actually, is not analytical. <laughs> I mean, again, from a common sense perspective, you can't be here. You can be here. How do you choose to be in the middle? The people here will kill you. So go for it. That is why I am here. It's hit you from business right down to personal. And as I heard a word sometime that once you choose to believe in God, he didn't say fully. He said, believe in God. You are an, you are an endangered species. The devil will come at you. Because if he allows you to continue in that growth, his kingdom loses. So the best way is to prevent you from reaching there. And it could be anything just to get you out. So you can't be in the middle. You don't have a choice. If you believe, you have to believe fully and do the actions of a believer. Otherwise, you are very endangered. If you are of his side, no problem. He has you already. Why? If you are part of the population of, the, of his kingdom. He won't do you anything. Now, these dark times that come to you in business is created to bring fear, and then you slide back on the slide of fear. So fear is the first thing he uses, and is the most sustained that he he, he does. The opposite of fear is faith. You can't conquer faith and re, uh, you can't conquer fear and remain neutral. You conquer fear to be on the other side of fear, which is faith. And every decision that we take, there is an either or to it. The decision that you are taking today is it out of faith? Have you prayed to him? Do you really know if that's what he wants for you? Now, again, that's not difficult. In my first encounters with Edwin, in my formative years, he would say, God said. I, say, ah. <laughs> I look at his ears. My ears. My ears are bigger than his. How come he hears God and I don't hear God? So it was a challenge for me. And of course, when you are a political animal, you use your brains more than faith. So when he speaks and says, God says, I'm tempted to say, Sebio, Bodam Kakrawu. I probably won't say it to him because he's my elder uncle. How can I say that? But I'll think it. Then he took me through a process again at Makati Hill. It was a one day. He said, don't ask God for anything. Let's just pray and say thank you to God. And let's sit calmly and listen to God. I wrote three pages. I wrote three pages at that position of things God was saying. Now, I'm saying this not as a pastor. Neither am I the 25th percentile near what God wants us to be in righteousness. But when I sit down calmly and I say God speaks to me, he speaks and I hear. So that choice also of asking God and believing that what he has said is what will happen 
It's part of faith. And once he gives you the direction, the devil will cross you. He would bring stuff. But because of your faith and you know you have heard God, you go through all of them. I've been sick for two years before. Straight two years. By the third month, we stopped going to hospital. Because when you get a white doctor telling you that, as for these symptoms, please, if you have an oracle, please consult it. <laughs> this is a white doctor. So I asked him, but what do you know about oracles? He said, oh, I was born and bred in New Orleans, Louisiana, and you know, that place is populated with Africans and ex-slaves children. And what we know most there is Vodouism. Now, so coming back home and coming to stay and stick to prayer is faith. Now, this is not a situation where, and to be honest, forgive me, let me explain myself well. I still haven't gotten to the place where I will say because of faith, I won't go to the hospital. That one, I'm still building that muscle. I haven't reached there. <laughs> and since I haven't been able to, I can't ask you to reach there as well. So you, let's stay at my level. <laughs> now, to believe, and in that time, the number of people who came to give me different options, it was tempting. When you are in pain, you can't see your way out stuff happens. People come with examples. And these people are not far away. They could be people you are even praying with. Yet they come with suggestions outside their faith. The other thing is that you are shy of them. Is there any English like that? Oferiomo. And whilst Oferiomo, saying no to them is also difficult. So sometimes you agree, but you just don't do it. When they leave, you go into, so you have a meandering way of handling them. Of course, if my father comes and says, this sickness happened to my grandfather, and this is how we did it, so come and let's go. You, I won't tell my father that I won't go. I'll say, oh, take the lead, then I'll come home tomorrow so that we move from home and go. But you just don't go. So there are ways of handling them even in our worldly and physical environments. Now that sickness, I kept asking God, what have I done? Why this? And if it's not of you, why did you allow it? One day, the time that I thought I was close to death, then it dropped. He said, what if the way you are today you would have been driving probably to the office and you'll be at Laboni Junction. And I tell you that a car would have crashed you. And the only way to stop you not being there is to allow this to happen, to prevent you from there. At that, from that day, I said, thank you for making me sick. Now, when you decide to listen to God, he gives you words that gives you strength. I walked into this same building, I think after my sickness, just as I was coming out, I got a bent leg. So fire attacked me and my right leg was bent. I think four days after that, I had to meet some people, so I came out. So I came and I wanted to say hello to somebody in this office. When I walked in, Nanakofi was there. And we chatted. And I said to him that, Charlie, I did hustle. This sickness, they kill me. Then he got up and said, let's pray. Nanakofi prayed against death. And in my mind, I was like, how did this guy know I was thinking of death the day before? In fact, that night, I think I saw death. You know, I got into a situation where whilst I was feeling pain, 
I could feel the calmness of just throwing your arms up and giving up. You haven't thrown your arms up yet, but it was as though even the fact of thinking about it, you could feel that, why don't I just say, it's okay. And I could feel the calmness on the other side. So he just told me that this was a decision I needed to make, whether to give up or to stay. So that day, I mean, I broke and I prayed to God that not today. We can have this discussion next week, but today they, it has to be postponed. Then the following day, I met Nana Kofi by chance. No emotions, nothing. It wasn't like, oh, Charlie, you grow lean, oh, oh so what they do you? No, no convo. Just got up and said, let's pray. And Nana Kofi and I, we are, we're in university. So we don't have a prayer relationship, you know. <laughs> we know ourselves, we know each other. You know that kind of thing. You have, you, we, we, we suffer confidence in even asking people who are not our kind to join us in the prayer. So, and that was the first time. Right? I was like, hey, this guy get confused. He didn't know my state, but he said, let's pray. And he prayed, the whole prayer was against death. I could easily have said in my head, this guy was rather pouring things on me. But I said, God made me come here because I needed that prayer that day. Long story short, the things will happen. How we handle them and interpret them is ours. And if you give God the chance, if you listen to him, if you get, create the quietness, instead of asking, just listen. Let him speak to you. You would realize. These testimonies that I am giving, you think the devil is happy? No. Right now as we are speaking, they are drawing graphs. Which way to take me tomorrow because I'm becoming a problem. What he doesn't know is a prayer I prayed and the ones that you will pray for me after this. So I'm just saying, I don't fear darkness. They come. But I have won over them so far. As you see me today, in all honesty, my best dressing is what you have seen. <laughs> Shorts and t-shirts. I won't change eating rice with my hands. I will not use fork for even kelewele. I go to a restaurant and I want to eat kinky. My wife will say, you have left home to a hotel restaurant. But that is it. I won't change. I haven't. Thanks be to God. But why? Why has he chosen me to do all this good to me? Now because of the faith, I know it's not for me. Because me, myself, I feel very content. Now, when that element enters, you realize that you don't chase things with aggression, with alacrity, with anxiety. Because your own is, if it happens, it is his will. If it doesn't happen, it is his will. If it happens and you are already content, and I ask him, why me? He says, it's not yours. I know you don't need this. That is not your makeup. I don't like traveling. In fact, I prefer Brodian Pesie with Kondomri to any other food. So you ask, why this abrofonsem into my life? If it is not mine, then who is it? He's just using you as a vessel. And my logic is that if God has chosen you as a vessel, karma, some will pass by your hand and you can lick it. So you are even lucky that they've chosen you as a vessel. So even if what I'm asking of you is not for you, the benefits, some will touch you. Now God is my ultimate president. 
was also out of a phrase that Edwin taught me in my formative years. He said, Sebastian, when he says surrender, it's total surrender. No analysis of it. No mathematics equations. Should I fall? Will you hold me when I fall? He says, yes, fall. That is the extent of the foolishness in your belief. When you do all that, you scare nothing. Because when they are happening, your faith is holding you strong. It is your faith that can withstand the storms and the winds. And I'm sorry to tell you, darkness will come. It always comes. What God has fortified us with is the faith. Before I make up another story, it's okay. <laughs> we hope this sermon blessed you. If it did, will you consider sharing it with a friend? And if you're in Accra looking for a spirit-filled community to worship with, why don't you join us at Mikado Plaza, Aboni Junction, Accra, on Sundays from 9 to 10.30 a.m. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Accra Church and visit our website, accrachurch.org, for more sermons. God bless you.